Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor Gillian Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. I want to start reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and I'm going to throw out some scriptures tonight, but I'm sure all of you are familiar with the story of Moses. Moses, who came before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And then all of the Israelites, God's people, followed Moses into the wilderness. And we know that God had a plan for them. They were meant to go to a land, a beautiful land, an abundant land. They should have got there perhaps in one short year or six short months. But instead, a million of them never made it. God's people, who he intended to go somewhere, never made it. And God has given us these warnings so that we will not be foolish like them. So let's find out tonight what they did that we can change, that we can change in our lives and move forward. All right, you're with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry land. Verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did. Verse 10, don't grumble as some of them did. Here we have an incredible warning in Scripture. We're being told, don't forget, don't forget what happened to these people. Don't forget about the journey God was taking them on and what took them out. We're to learn from their mistakes and to change our behavior in the light of what they did wrong so that we can get it right. Don't grumble as some of them did. You see, grumbling and complaining took out a whole generation. And it will take us out of fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. To complain is to protest, to grumble, to moan, to whine, to bleat, and to find fault. The Israelites were continually warned to stop complaining, but they failed to listen. I know that for many of you in this room, you may have children. Uh, my children are models, role models, exemplary. Of course, this is not true of them, but I'm sure it is true of some children that when you take them to the snow, and you take them for this wonderful adventure of skiing that you're paying through the nose to do, even in New Zealand, and you've saved your pennies to go to the snow, and you take them to the snow, and they get there, and instead of being, this is amazing, they're like, this is too cold. This is too cold. I'm freezing. I'm cold. I'm wet. I'm hungry. I don't want to ski. I want to sit in the cafe and eat food. And then you save your pennies and perhaps you take them to Australia, to the Gold Coast, and you get there and you think this will be an amazing experience. These kids are so blessed. You know, we've gone without to make sure they have every good thing. You take them to the theme park and you know what happens when you get there? They say, this is too hot. 
This is too hot. And you know, this is the behavior sometimes of children, that they complain even in the midst of the goodness of the experience they're receiving. Even in the midst of the moment that they're having, they fail to see the big picture and focus on the discomfort and complain and whine. God doesn't want us to be like this, where we're in the middle of the discomfort of the journey, and instead of looking with hope to the future and understanding that Christ, our spiritual rock, is with us, we begin to open our mouths and complain. Unfortunately for these guys, they failed to please God. Now, for me, those words have such weight. I really believe we are called to be God-pleasers, that we would live a life that pleases God. The Bible says, find out what pleases the Lord. Now, clearly, here is a key of what does not please God, and that is when we complain, and that is when we whine, when we bleat, when we moan, and when we are discouraged and speak out, finding fault. These guys, they were warned and they didn't listen. So as I read this passage in 1 Corinthians, the question that comes to my mind is, did they complain much? I mean, you know, maybe they just complained a little bit. Perhaps they only just complained a little bit. What, what, how much did they complain? How often did they complain? What were they complaining about? I mean, generally, if we're going to complain in life, usually there is a source that causes the complaint, yes? Usually there is a reason for the complaint. And I began to study they're complaining. And I want to take you on a journey where we look at what happened in their heart and what came out of their mouth. In Exodus chapter 14, we see a pattern of complaining begins to emerge. You see, they have been taken out of Egypt. God has rescued them. He has said, you're my people. He's rescued them with miracles. We understand there were plagues and all sorts of things took place for Pharaoh to let the people go. They were in the midst of the miraculous but instead they complained that they no longer had their melons. I don't know about you, miraculous or give me a melon. <laughs> they just couldn't see how things really were. And we can be like that as the people of God, where everything is in front of us. God has laid it all out before us. His plan and his purpose for us is clear, but yet we're choosing to focus on the Minor discomfort instead of the eternal plan, as John Bevere talked about this morning. There was a pattern of complaining. They had a lack of gratitude for what God had done and a lack of confidence in God's wisdom and ways. We see this pattern began right, unfortunately, from the start. In Exodus 14, we see that they are outside of Egypt. They are on their way. They are about to hit the Red Sea. And we all know what happens, yeah, the Red Sea. The waters are about to miraculously part. They are about to do what nobody in this room has ever done, walk through seas of walled water. Or maybe if you've been to Kelly Tarleton's, you've had a close experience to the Israelites. It's quite surreal seeing the sea life all around you. You feel a bit claustrophobic. I thought that's about as close as we've got to the Israelites, is Kelly Tarleton's. We see here in Exodus 14, what happens is that the people of Israel, verse 10, they look up in panic because they see the Egyptians are coming after them. They cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen? 
We said, leave us alone. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. And that's a word for somebody in this room facing a battle, facing those pressures. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I love that. There they are. Oh my goodness, there's an army pressing in. The darkness is advancing on them. And God says, stop crying. Stop whining. Stop bleating. Don't you know that I am God? And he says, tell the people to get moving. Tell the people to get moving. See, so often in the middle of what's happening, there's accusation, there's blame, there's resentment. These Israelites, they were gifted at this. They're blaming Moses. They're blaming their leaders. They're blaming each other. They're blaming Pharaoh. They're blaming God. They're playing the blame game like no other. They know how to be critics. They know how to embody the spirit of criticism. They know how to tear things down. They know how to have the poison tongue. They know how to speak ill of things. They know how to make everything seem like I'm a victim and everything is bad. They are focusing on everything that is bad. And God says, just tell them to stop crying and get on with it. I wonder if someone in this room tonight is perhaps in the same situation where, you know what, it just sometimes feels good to indulge in that pity party. It sometimes feels good to blame somebody for the lack of our advancement or promotion. It feels good to blame somebody that we're not going where we thought we should be going or that things aren't happening as as we expected. We can go straight to that critic. We can go straight to that resentment, that blame. And God's saying, "Uh -uh, just get moving. Just start to move. Stop stop all that and just get on with it, would you? Because don't you know that in my wisdom and in my ways, I've planned this to happen. He was about to part the waters. You know, sometimes we're complaining, but we don't understand the ways of God, that He is our spiritual rock, that He was our spiritual water, and that He has never left us when we are in the good times and when we are in the bad times. Unfortunately for the Israelites, when their comfort and their safety dissipate, their faith dissipates. When they feel like their comfort is gone, when they feel like their safety is gone, they start to lose faith. I don't believe that's how we should be. You know, God doesn't promise any one of us, unfortunately, I know it's true. God doesn't promise any of us a comfortable life. But he does say that he promises us the comforter. He says, I will send you the comforter. So we have comfort even when we are not comfortable. And he wants us to access his presence all the time to know that our spiritual rock is with us. He is with us in the wilderness. You know, God wants us to be challenge ready, resilient, filled with faith, not stopping and complaining and dwelling on the problems, but getting going and walking through those waters, facing our fears, stepping out. And when we, you know, God wants us to be people who keep our calling even when we do not keep our comfort, even when we do not keep our comfort. You know, Spurgeon says this, he said, when one's flesh and bones are full of aches and pains, 
It is as natural for us to murmur as for a horse to shake his head when the flies tease him. But nature should not be the rule with Christians, or what is their religion worth? So when we're annoyed about things, it's natural that we complain. When we're upset about things, it's natural that we moan. It's human nature. It's our first reaction. Oh, they didn't know that this happened. I'm so upset about this. Rah, rah. Oh, the school did this. Oh, and this happened. And my boss did this. We complain and we whine. It's our natural reaction. But that is not how a Christian learns to respond. Get moving. God doesn't want us to camp around, sit around, dwell on the problem. He wants us to get moving. Unfortunately for the Israelites, they complained repeatedly. We see this pattern follows them. God tries to show them again and again that he is with them, that he is responding to every need, that he has already gone before them and provided, and yet they choose to complain. Exodus 15, they have no water. And it says, the people complained and turned against Moses. Exodus 16, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron and they said, if only the Lord had killed us. In Exodus 17, once more, the people complained against Moses. As a Christian, we must understand our comfort and our calling are not tied together. We must be prepared to go without our comfort to achieve our calling. We must be prepared to put aside the complaining when we're journeying through the wilderness to the promise of God. And I know, arise, I know that in your life, God wants us tonight to grasp hold of this key, which does indeed make the darkness tremble, because darkness attaches to complaints, but light attaches to hope professed through expectation. When we speak out what God could and would do, He can act upon that. But when we speak out what we believe is bad, well, let's see what God does with that. Sitting on the problem will not change it. They lacked comfort and security. They lacked security of food and water. You know what's really interesting about this? They're complaining, but they have a real complaint. They're in the desert. It's hot. They're thirsty. They do need water. Their complaint was justified. And my friends tonight in this room, your complaint may very well be justified. You may have a horrible boss. You may have very dire circumstances in your life. Life might have thrown you some really bad things. You might not have what you need. But you know what? Christ is enough. He is all that we ever need. And instead of looking at everything that's gone wrong, we have to start speaking out the possibility of what God could, would, and wants to do in our lives. You know, these Israelites, they didn't see that He was there. They had an if-only mentality. We can't live with an if-only mentality. An if-only mentality will cause us to complain, to whine, to moan. They were dissatisfied. They were demanding. They showed all of those bad sides to their personality. I mean, they were eating mana. I mean, to be the people that got to eat mana, that's pretty amazing. 
in the scheme of things, I mean, manna was even, I digress, but it was even put into the Ark of the Covenant to show the goodness of God. Manna is a very special provision from heaven, and they were the ones that got to eat it. And instead of an attitude of gratitude, they had ungratefulness, ingratitude, and an unholy attitude to God's provision towards them. They could not see that God was with them. They didn't know Psalm 142 verse 2 that David wrote that says, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. He is, when I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. They were telling their complaints to each other. They were complaining to each other. They were complaining to their leaders. They were complaining against their leaders. They were complaining. And God says, you turn your complaint to me. God can handle our complaint. He can take it. We're not to pour out our complaint to one another. Do you know when we do that, we're actually bringing defilement into the people around us. We're bringing darkness in our words when we just pour out our complaint. We're to pour our complaint in one direction. Yes, my friend, life will hand you some bad things. But when it does, we keep our declaration of hope and expectation and we pour our complaint out before God. You know, I know this sounds so ideal, doesn't it? That we could do this. I mean, I know you're sitting there thinking, oh, well, that sounds good, Jillian. But you know, I just, I know that I just go and talk to Sally. I just go and talk to this person. I go and talk to, you know, my friend when I've got a problem. I talk to my husband. I talk to, you know, Facebook. I just go to Twitter. I stand on my little social media pulpit so the whole world knows everything that's wrong with the world, everything that's wrong with Donald Trump, everything that's wrong with, you know, and everybody knows what I think about it because my opinion is so important that everybody needs to know I'm standing on my soapbox and complaining. <laughs> Instead of proactively changing the world. We have to learn where we take our complaints. The world is not changed by complainers. No complainer has ever done anything that we're going to write history books about. Nobody who complained is somebody that we're going to care to hear from. We're going to want to know about the people that were the resolvers, the solutions, the agents of change, the people that proactively overcame the odds, overcame the situations that they were handed to and discovered the purpose of God in the midst of what were perhaps valid complaints in their lives. Exodus 16:7, Moses says to the people, your complaints are against him and not against us. This is something that we as Christian believers need to be quite aware of. I wanna highlight that when we complain, we're not just complaining about the situation, we're actually complaining against God. We're complaining against his goodness. We're saying we don't trust in your wisdom and we don't trust in your ways because we're working out this purpose, we're running this race and when a hurdle comes, God wants us to jump. <laughs> there will be hurdles, my friends, and there will be pits and there will be all sorts of uh, unexpected things along the way. But in those moments, God wants us to soar. He wants us to jump. He wants us to move forward and just get on with it, my friends. We must understand that when we complain, we're not just complaining about the people around us, the situation we face. Our complaint is heard by God. I mean, he hears every word, yeah? Every word's given to be an account. No word that falls from, no word falls to the ground unheard in heaven. And that's why our prayers ascend like incense. Ah, it's amazing. But when we speak out complaint, 
What are we activating to come around our lives? When we complain and murmur and whine, God is not pleased. He is like, oh, stop it. You know, you hear the kids, oh, it's too hot. Oh, it's too cold. Oh, it's this. You're like, oh, it's just horrible. It's a horrible sound. And it's the same for our heavenly father when he hears us doing the same thing. But you know what's phenomenal about our God is that he heard every complaint they made every complaint. They said, we don't have meat, and he sends quail. They say, we don't have water, and he says, strike the rock. He, every complaint, he heard it. God was not unwilling to meet their needs. He was not unwilling to leave them in their situation, but they needed to turn their, their situation into a cry and not into a complaint, and I believe that if we can learn this, we will turn things around. I want to bring this home. In Numbers chapter 11, it says this, the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. The foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt, and the people of Israel began to complain, oh, for meat, we remember the fish we used to eat, and we all had the cucumbers, mm, yum, <laughs> melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. I don't know if that's on my list of favorite things, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Verse 10, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. There they are. They are standing in the doorways of their tents. The Israelites, who were meant to be out possessing their promise, are in a tent, a temporary structure, a place they were continually to pack down and keep on moving with on their backs, but there they stood, there they dwelt, there they stood declaring their expectations of loss, their resentment, their demands that had been unmet, their ingratitude was expressed, melons, oh, leeks, garlic. I want to eat fish and garlic. Well, you're gonna smell after that. Can you imagine? There they are, dwelling in their doorways, complaining, complaining about a God who had brought them out of slavery, complaining about a God who had shown them miracles after miracles, complaining about a God who had said, I will make you my people, complaining about a God who had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, complaining about a God who was with them with a pillar of fire and a cloud in the day. They stand in their doorway complaining, God does not want any one of us in this room to stand in the doorway of our life and complain. He does not want us to look out and survey our life from a doorway. My friends, we cannot stand in the doorway complaining and dwelling on the problems. It will allow the darkness to surround us and death will shortly follow. That's heavy, isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. In the tongue is the power of life and death, life and death. You know, these guys, they were meant to be purposeful people who gained their promise, not defeated doorway dwellers. 
I want us to be people that are purposeful, that gain our promise, that don't stand around. You know what's fascinating is that their complaint births the fruit of their destiny. I've got to read this out to you. I know we're going into the text tonight, but I have to share it from here. It says in Numbers chapter 14, what happens is we know that Joshua and Caleb, they see the land and all these Israelites through this journey, they are right on the precipice of stepping into the promise. They can see the promise. They can see it. They are just about to access what God has planned for them. And what they say, what they say stops them. Let's have a look. Exodus, no, sorry, Numbers chapter 14, verse 2. Their voices, when they hear the report about the promised land, their voices rose in a chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Just go across to verse 26. The Lord said to Moses, How long? Must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. (gasps) I will do to you the very things I heard you say. What did they say? We would have been better off to die in Egypt, but we'd be better off to die here in the wilderness. They said that. Why would you say that? Why would you say, I want to die in the wilderness when you can see the promised land? It's human nature. It's human nature to complain, to criticize, to resent, to tear down. It's human nature to blame, to accuse. God wants us to understand this is not the key to our destiny. We have to throw away the complaining. We have to be a people who get moving. We bring our complaint to the Lord and we trust that He will provide our needs and then we get moving. Don't dwell in the doorway of your life, my friend. Don't survey the problems from the doorway. Nothing will change in the doorway. Nothing will change in the doorway. And God did what he heard them say. That freaks me out. I will do to you the very things I have heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. And there we have it. That is our warning. What a complete warning it is. They let their attitude inhabit inhibit their aptitude for action. Their attitude determined the fact that they would no longer move forward into God's plan. They don't go into the promised land. They're buried under the thin crust of the wilderness. See, complainers lose an action bias. I want to tell you a story about a monk. There was a monk who felt the call to serve God, and he went to a monastery Tell the person next to you, this is going to be interesting, the monk. Don't really tell us stories about monks. (laughs) There was a monastery that had a vow of silence. And in this monastery, you weren't allowed to talk. Well, that's what a vow of silence is, right? (laughs) And every five years, the monk would come before the abbot of the monastery, and they were allowed to say two words to the abbot. In five years. Now, this one particular monk, he got before the abbot, 
And he said these two words as his first two words. He came to the abbot and he said, bad food. That was his first attempt to talk. Another five years passed. He came before the abbot again. And this time, he said with his two words, I mean, after 10 years now of silence, of being in the presence of God, of reading the word of God, with no distractions, no, nothing to disturb him. How idyllic does it sound? And you know what his two words were next? Bed hard. Another five years passes. He comes before the abbot again to speak his two words to the abbot. And this time, his two words to the abbot are, I quit. And the abbot says, well, you might as well quit because all you've done since you got here is complain. <laughs> the truth is, complainers are quitters. Complainers are quitters. See, the Israelites didn't understand that their complaint had become their coffin. Their complaint had sharpened and shaped their own coffin. And so it is with us. Our complaints will be the death of us, whereas our declarations will be the life of us. God wants a declaratory people, a people who are speaking out what He will do, speaking out that this will be a nation one to Christ, speaking out that the church will go from strength to strength, speaking out that our lost will be saved, speaking out that the blind will see, speaking out that the lame will walk, speaking out that cancer will be healed, speaking out that sight is restored, that revelation comes, speaking out that the darkness trembles, that the light of Christ will shine, speaking out that a city on a hill will not be hidden. We are to declare and God can use our declaration to build something powerful and we will see it in our day. And my friend, you will see it in your life. Oh, you're shaping your future with the words that you are speaking right now, my friends. Oh, don't create a coffin for your future. Don't create a coffin for your destiny but create something powerful, something enlarging, something that will allow the God of the impossible to move through you and in you because Christ is in you. Oh, my friend, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't let those little complaints, don't let those little murmurings, don't let those annoying flies be the things that we focus on. We are not to be bound by nature but to allow nature to be submitted to the Spirit of Christ rising up within us. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. You know, the Israelites, they quit on God's promise when they were so close. Oh, if I was God the Father, how, dis how absolutely upsetting that would be. No wonder that they did not please Him. I mean, he brought them to within a, a hair's breadth of the promised land. They were there and they quit because <laughs> they just didn't open their eyes and see that Christ, the spiritual rock, was traveling with them. Oh, my friend, you might be going through a difficult moment and you might be wanting to quit. You might wanna quit on this Christian faith. You might wanna quit on your marriage. You might wanna quit on some people in your life. You might wanna quit on your job. And God's saying, it's not the time. 
You see, we just, we quit because we don't understand that we're right there. See, I reckon the pressure comes the greatest right before we get the breakthrough. Every time, I tell you, I could promise you so many times when the pressure has been its most intense and then God just does something that breaks it open. He wants to do that in your life, my friends. We're going to pray tonight for every person in this house that God would do that, that God would do that. You know, <coughs> God doesn't want us to be doorway dwellers. I want to tell you one last story before we bring this to a close. And Levi's going to come and, and give us an opportunity to receive Christ later on tonight. But you know what? There was a woman, and I want to finish with her story tonight. There was a woman, and she was given, miraculously given, a son. She, she, was, she couldn't have children, and then she has this baby. And it's like the promise of God has come alive in her life. She's rejoicing. She's excited. She's raising him. He's her precious son, the one she dreamed of, hoped for, didn't even expect to receive. And then... This gift from God dies in her arms, dies. She has a room, this woman. She built a room for the prophet of God. That was the reason she had the son, because she'd housed the presence of God. And then the prophet said, what can be done for her? And they, get, and they prayed that she would have this child. The child dies. She doesn't understand. She doesn't understand what God is doing. If anyone could complain, she could. If anyone could doubt the goodness of God, she could. If anyone could doubt His plan and His purpose, His wisdom and His ways, she could. She has her dead son that God had given her miraculously. She doesn't complain. She doesn't whine. She doesn't stand in the doorway, but she takes her son and she enters the prophet's room and she places him down upon the prophet's bed. She puts him where the presence of God dwells. She puts him where she knows there's something, something of the life of God resident there. There have been prayers prayed in that room. There have been words spoken in that room. There's been faith declared in that room. She puts her dead promise in the room. And then she goes out of the room. She doesn't stand there. She doesn't mourn. She doesn't cry. She doesn't dwell there. She doesn't focus on the problem. She doesn't focus on the loss. She doesn't act like a victim. She doesn't say, God's betrayed me. She doesn't say, everything in my life has gone wrong. Do you know what she does? The Bible says that this woman, it says she shuts the door. She shuts the door. She shuts the door to complaining. She shuts the door to doubt. She shuts the door to, to defeat. She shuts the door to doubting God's goodness. She does not complain. Her husband says, he knows the son's been unwell. And she says, bring me the donkey. Saddle the donkey. I've got to go see the man of God. And the husband says, what's going on? She says, everything will be all right. Her son is dead. And she says, everything will be all right. In our lives tonight, God wants you to know that you might have a dead son in a room. You might have a problem. You might have a burden. That God wants the words out of our declaration to be everything will be all right. When we don't understand, when we can't see how it could be, when we don't know if it's possible, when we don't see how it's possible, that this would be the declaration because our declaration gives God something to build life, to bring resurrection, to bring restoration. And so she says to her servant, get the donkey, it's gonna be all right. She said to the servant, hurry, 
Don't slow down unless I tell you to. See, she didn't dwell on the problem, but she got a donkey and she got moving. I know somebody else who rode on a donkey. I know somebody else who rode on a donkey who said, even though there's things going on and I know that one day they're gonna shout Hosanna, the next day they're gonna shout crucify. I'm still gonna get going. I'm still gonna face what I need to face. And she got going. She didn't stop. Gehazi. Elisha's servant comes to meet her. He's a person of the presence of God. He's hanging out in the presence. But she does she pour her complaint to him? He says, what is wrong? What is wrong? She says, everything is fine. Her son is dead. She says to Gehazi, everything is fine. She pours out her complaint to the one person that can change her situation. She gets to Elisha and she says, my son is dead. You need to come. I know that God is a resurrection work in store for us. I know that my son is not dead, but he is going to come back to life. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? He comes. He opens the door. He opens the door because our confession is the key to the open door that God has for us. When we begin to give positive declaration, then we walk through into what God has. And the son that was dead is resurrected back to life because God wants to do that in our lives, my friends. He wants to speak to that which is dead and say, it's not over, it's not over. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't be defeated. Don't stand here, but get going, get going, get moving. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Would you stand to your feet? One last thing the Israelites had to learn was they could complain or they could command. And all along, they were never meant to learn to complain. They were meant to learn to command. And God was trying to show them this when He says to Moses, first He had to strike the rock. Then He says, Moses, speak to the rock. Command the water to come and it will come. Speak, speak. You know, in this room tonight, some of us need to understand that complaining changes nothing. But commanding, commanding can change everything. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Gillian Cameron, go to arisechurch.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at Gillian Cameron and at Arise Church.